Thanks, Audrey. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we just want to continue to praise your name for endless days. Through, through this message, I pray that your name would be praised. Through this passage, this horrific passage of how Jesus was treated here, I, I pray that at the end of it, we would be praising you uh, for how great you are. pray that you would help that happen today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. Good to see everybody. Thank you for making it out. Fun to be here on a foggy day. Uh, let me start with a story, which I, uh, I like telling stories, so it's, a, it's always good to, a good warm-up to get, get going. So I don't know when this was, 2005 or something, I lived in Portland, actually Tigard, and was going to school at Portland State, uh, and I worked downtown. I parked cars, or it was a valet for El Gaucho, which is a, a really nice steakhouse up there. Um, anyways, I was on my way back to Tigard, which is just south of town, from downtown Portland, and I was merging onto I-5, um, and there was some construction going on, and sure enough, I looked behind me, and I got some blue lights, so I uh, pulled over, and I uh, had a discussion uh, with, a, with a cop, and he said the speed limit had been reduced in that area, okay, just right as, you, just right as you're coming out of out of downtown onto, onto I-5. And I was like, huh, that's funny. I didn't see any signs that said that the speed limit had been reduced. He said, oh, they're there. And I was like, are you sure? I, 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 I have gotten several tickets in my, <laughs> in my lifetime. I was only 20-nothing at the time. I don't, I don't remember, but plenty of tickets that I deserved. But I was thinking, I, I actually didn't know that the speed limit had been reduced. He said, yeah, well, it has. And he gave me the ticket, and uh, I went on my way. So for the next day, or, or later that day, I ended up back downtown, and I was like, I'm going to drive through that area again and just see what's going on. Because I'm relatively observant, not super observant, but I, I would have seen this. Sure enough, on either side of the road was a bunch of equipment, like backhoes and dump trucks and semis and pickups. And the signs were blocked by all the equipment. So I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to fight this. I shouldn't have gotten this ticket. So the next day I go get a camera or, or a, a day or so later and I go down to take some pictures of this, but all the equipment had been moved at that point. <laughs> Dang it. I take some pictures. They're not, you know, it's not as meaningful. <laughs> You're standing before the judge. Like, just imagine that there was equipment there. I'm telling you. So anyways, I'm do I feel like I got a pretty good case. So I go to court, traffic court, which I'm sure the cops in here probably hate going to traffic court, but have to deal with like 20-year-old punks like I, like I was. And so the cop comes up to me before we go up and argue the case or whatever. And he's like, hey, how about if you plead guilty? We'll knock, it off. It will knock the, the fine down and, and you can be on your way. And I was like, nah, I think I got a pretty good case. <laughs> I think I want to go ahead and fight it. And he's like, oh, really? Well, what's your case? And so, like a moron, I tell him everything, right? Tell him, well, I, you know, I was there, there was equipment there, I didn't see it, and I give him all the details, not realizing that the cop is my opponent in this, right? We're, we're arguing against each other. So they call my name, I get up there, you know, and the judge is like, all right, well, let's start with the cop. And the cop says, I'm sure he didn't say that, but like, whatever, we'll, we'll start with the officer. So the officer says, well... 
Mr. Porter here is going to tell you, you know, and he proceeds to tell him my case and why this wasn't valid. Well, the signs have been posted for a week or, or more, and Mr. Porter travels this area regularly because he lives over here, and he just poked holes in my entire argument. And I'm just standing there, like, fuming, like, come on! I cannot believe it was totally my fault. I gave him my, my case. So then it comes back to me, and I tried to, you know, I tried to say, like, well, I don't travel that particular way home every day. You know, there's the 405 that you can get on. You can take Barber. You can take Terwilliger. There's, like, 50 different ways that you can get to Tigard from downtown Portland. But I, but I made the case. It was the equipment. It's the backhoes. It's the, the dump trucks, the semis, and the pickups that were in the way, and I couldn't see the signs. So the judge takes, I don't know, five seconds of deliberation and says, nah, we're going to side with the officer. We're going to give you the full ticket. You know, sorry. He says, you mentioned pickups and pickups can't, won't actually block a sign. And so I'm fuming again. And I also mentioned backhoes and dump trucks and semis. Why did I mention the pickups? Like I totally felt like this was a sham of a trial. I, I felt, I, I'm Probably wasn't, but this is how I felt. I was raging mad. But I felt like the judge had maybe made up his mind before I even stepped up there to give my case. Like nothing would have convinced him. No video of me driving down the road with clearly uh, signs blocked would have, would have gotten me out of this ticket. I don't know if that's actually the case. But it felt like a sham of a trial decided before I even got there. That's the picture. That's what we got today. And if you heard what Audrey read, we got a picture of Jesus in a, a bit of a sham trial that's a little bit worse than mine, like infinitely worse. The trial that Jesus was involved in, I mean, they, they convicted an innocent man. They mocked, they beat him, they spit on him. Then they convict him of a crime he didn't commit and then sentence him to death. It's a brutal, horrific picture. They, they did the opposite of show Jesus mercy and grace. They were, it was harsh. It was brutal. It was uh, graceless and merciless. And that is a picture of where we live today. This is a picture of the society that we live in. If you don't follow the rules, the rules that society and culture has made for us, you will be shamed. You will be mocked. You will be ridiculed. You will be judged. What are those rules? I mean, I don't know anything from like, if you don't wear a mask in Trader Joe's, you know, you're going to be berated to more serious issues. Like if you disagree with the sexuality that culture has defined or marriage or the non-binary gender identification, if you even like question what they have decided for us now, you will be judged and you will be ridiculed and you will be shown no mercy. But let me tell you, we live in a place that has no grace, but we don't worship society and we don't worship culture we worship Jesus. And Jesus is the definition of grace. He is the 
picture of grace. He is the person of grace. His story is the story of grace. And when we believe in Jesus, we get to be the recipient of an insane amount of grace. That's, that's the, the truth of the matter. We get to be the recipients of that grace. And the definition of grace that I read this week was God's favor to the unworthy. That's us. Worthy, unworthy. And he shows favor on us even though we're the guilty ones. So this morning I want to I look at this passage because this is an example of the place we live in today. Harsh, brutal, horrific at times, merciless and graceless. And I want to talk about how did these guys get here? These Talking about the guys in that story that are treating Jesus shamefully. How did they get here? How do we get there? When we start to conform to society, when we start to judge and, and, and not show mercy, not show grace to anybody, how do we get there? And then how do we get out of there? Because we don't want to do that. We don't want to be there. We want to dispense grace, not, you know, br brutality to people. So how do they get there? How do we get there? How do we get out of there? And then how do we help other people do the exact same thing? Okay? That's what we're talking about today. Um, let me explain the passage before I read it, or, or at least talk about it. There's two groups of people that we're going to see or treating Jesus harshly. We've got the first section in 63 through 65 verses. Luke chapter 22, verse 63 through 65, are the temple guards that are, that are blindfolding Jesus. They're beating him. They're mocking him. It says that they're spitting on him. Uh, at one point. So we got the temple guards. These are like the muscle of the Jewish religion. Okay? These are the, these are the, the I imagine them as big, oafy, tough guys, you know? And then the second scene that we see is they drag them into the council, the Jewish council. These are the brains of the operation. All right? We got the, the big, oafy, muscly guys, and, you know, that are like, oh, 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 beat up Jesus. And then we got the, the brains of the operation, and these are the guys going, excellent. We need to get rid of Jesus. He's a problem for us. So these are the two, the two characters that we're going to talk about. And before I read, I'm going to read the first section in a second, but um, before I read, I just want to talk about how did they get there? How did they end up in this horrific situation? And I don't know if you've ever gone through tough times in your life. I've experienced some of this, but I have asked myself this question. How did I get here? What, what did I do? What decisions did I make that landed me in a horrific situation? In my mid-20s, not long after that ticket, actually. Just looking at the life that I had created for myself and just being completely dissatisfied and disgusted with it. How did I get here? And the answer, in short, is sin. Sin is how these guys got there. Sin is how I got to relative rock bottom, I guess, in, in my life. Sin, and sin, when left unchecked, okay, sin produces more sin, which produces more sin, which produces, you know, consequences and destruction and disaster and death. Uh, I read that it's, sin is a slippery slope, but I don't feel like that's intense enough. Sin, it's more like a death spiral. That's, that's, how I, that's how I view it, right? 
it just gets bad. It goes from bad to worse. It gets, it gets ugly. It gets destructive. And then you end up at rock bottom. So I read, I read something this week. A guy named Stephen Cole says there's two types of sin going on in this picture. We got the first group, the, the temple guards. Their sin is the mad pursuit of pleasure. They're just trying to have a good time. Not thinking too much about it. They're not really thoughtful guys. Okay, that's the mad pursuit of pleasure. The second sin that we're going to look at is the mad pursuit of power. That's the, uh, the evil, you know, the evil ones, the, uh, the brains of the operation. Okay, so there's the setup. Let me read the first section again so you can get familiar with it. Uh, verse 63. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. So these guys, they're just looking to have a good time. This is the sin of, of pursuing pleasure, the mad pursuit of pleasure. They just want to beat somebody up. This helpless Jesus, this guy, oh, he's supposed to be a big deal. Let's blindfold him and let's play this game. I get, it was called blind man's bluff or something, where you blindfold somebody and then a group of people smack you in the face and you have to try to guess who smacked you. Pretty brutal, pretty brutal game, right? You probably only do that with people that you, you don't care much about, you don't care for. So they're playing this game, smacking him and just like treating him horribly. The mad pursuit of pleasure doesn't consider much else except for your own gain, your own pleasure, your own situation. I'm just interested in what I'm doing. They didn't care who Jesus was. They didn't care about you know, about who he was or what he stood for or, or anything like that. And that's what happens when we engage in the mad pursuit of pleasure. We're only interested in, in my own situation. I will do whatever I want, stay out of my business. I will drink how much I want. I will sleep with whoever I want. I will treat people the way I want. I will spend the money the way that I want. And I don't care about consequences. I don't care about anything else. I just want to do what I want to do. And so what happens? You, you enter into the death spiral. You do, you know, you, you, you're like crazy just about you and your pleasure. And so you, usually it's unwise, you know, activities that you're doing. And, and that leads to some consequences. And you get in trouble with the law or, you, you know, you run out of money or you're ticking people off. You're destroying relationships in, in your life. And then somebody tries to mention something about that to you and you either get, you know, you feel guilty and shame or you get angry and you rage. And so what do you do when you get angry and rage? We got to cope with that. So you go back to the pleasure. You know, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about anything else. I just want to do what I want to do. And so you engage again in whatever it is, whether it's drinking and sleeping around or, or, or porn or, you know, whatever, all the, all the things that, that come up. And then you get, it gets even deeper and then the consequences get even worse. And then, you know, you end up, if you're lucky, at rock bottom, like you smack so hard on rock bottom that it knocks some sense into you and you, you end up at a place and you're like, oh my gosh, what have I become? How did I get here? And then you start looking for answers on how to get out of that, how to stop that spiral. That's if you're lucky. <laughs> Otherwise, it just takes you down. So that's the mad pursuit of pleasure. That's the first, that's the first group. That's their, that's their sin. Their sin ignores God. 
Their sin tries to, so they were blindfolding him. That's what the mad pursuit of pleasure does. It tries to blindfold Jesus. Like, I don't want to think about Jesus. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to hang out with church people. I certainly am not going to open my Bible. You're trying to distance yourself from it. You're trying to blind Jesus to your sin. How ridiculous is that? Jesus knows what we're going through. Jesus knows where we're at. You can't hide from him. These guys couldn't hide from from Jesus. He knew who was smacking him in the face. So it, it, it ignores Jesus. It ignores God, this sin does. And it mocks him by blatantly disregarding God's wisdom for our life and how we pursue different things for us. And then it's, our sin smacks him in the face. So that's the, that's the mad pursuit of pleasure. That's how they got into it. That's sometimes how we can get into uh, that situation too. Now, let's move on to the second crew here, the brains of the operation. Their issue is the mad pursuit of power. That's their sin that they're dealing with. Let me read that. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council, and they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. It's like a terse response. He's not actually going to dignify their questions with a straightforward answer. But he's not going to deny it either. And they considered that a yes, because then they say, What further testimony do we need? We've heard it ourselves from his own lips. Okay, so let's talk about about these guys. How did these guys get there? How did these guys, how did their mad pursuit of power end in this death spiral where they're, they're committing this horrific atrocity? Some of the worst atrocities in the world, if you think about it, some of the worst atrocities in the world came because of the pursuit of power. If you think about Hitler and all the stuff that, that he represented, or Stalin, you think about the Russia-Ukrainian issue right now, where Putin is like trying to flex his muscles, trying to intimidate the Ukraine and, and might invade. It looks like they're going to. It's a power play. It's a power move. Power is, I think, worse than pleasure. Power is... is uh, is I think more insidious because it's not as obvious that it's a that it's a sin, okay? And these guys, how did these guys get there? I mean, you just imagine they were good little boys, you know. Their mommy and daddy told them to read the scriptures, so they read the scriptures. They went to Hebrew school or or whatever. They did well. People were like, "Hey, you know, nice job. You know, you're really learning stuff. You should be a scribe one day or a, a Pharisee, you know, whatever whatever they were saying to them." And they start, you know, puffing their chest out a little bit, like, yeah, check me out. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. They get, a little, they get a little taste of the power, a little taste of the prestige, and it tastes good. So good, it makes them feel so good that they can't live without it. I think you can be more drunk with power or, or more easily drunk with power than you can be drunk with booze. Because it's not as obvious that power is, is as, you know destructive to you 
You know, you see a buddy who's belligerent or, or just hammered, and it's like, dang, this is embarrassing, man. Let's get you to bed. But if you see a, you see a buddy who's like killing it, doing great, climbing the ladder, getting things done, what do we say? Nice job. Look at you. You're getting after it. You're knocking them dead. You're, you're doing awesome. And it kind of bolsters us. Like, don't we do that? Like, yeah, yeah, this is cool. I'm getting approval. and I'm getting, I'm getting uh, respect from everybody. Power is so corruptible. And when left unchecked, you end up in a situation like this where you're so scared of losing power or you, or you just are so excited to gain more power that you don't care who you hurt. I don't care what I have to do. I got to get more. Or I don't care what I have to do. I don't lie, cheat, or steal. I just don't want to lose the power that I have. And these guys saw Jesus as a threat to their power. Jesus comes on the scene He's teaching, he's he, I'm, I'm sorry, he's healing, he's got uh, the miracles that he's doing, he's got thousands of people following him, and he's teaching against the very, these very religious leaders, these, uh, the, the council that they're referring to. He is a threat. He's going to their turf at, at the temple courts, and he's preaching against these guys. Jesus reserved his harshest criticism for the religious uh, leaders of the of the Jews. Power is insidious and when left unchecked, it can it can make you do horrific things. How does power show up in in our lives? Well, I mean in work, obviously. If you're trying to climb the ladder, you're trying to succeed, you're trying to get things done, I'm trying to make more money, and then you end up thinking, ah, I can talk trash about that person. That's fine. You know, I can treat this person poorly. I don't care. He's just in my way. I just need to, I just need to get further up. This can show up in marriage, right? The, po- the power struggle that happens maybe often in marriage where it's a struggle for power. One spouse is a threat to the other. It happened in the family where kids are now pushing back and they're a threat to your power. They want to challenge your, uh, your authority in the house. And unfortunately, this happens in the church too, doesn't it? We mock our own in the church. We judge our own oftentimes in the church, unfortunately, as a way to display our power, as a way to show people how powerful we are, show people how superior we are to one another. I was thinking about how this would work out or, or what I've seen recently in, in, you know, in the church and I heard of a story the other day. This actually isn't somebody from Silverton. I'm not talking about somebody here. But somebody who left a church, and uh, they were dissatisfied. They were unhappy with how the church was handling one of the current events, whether it's the pandemic or politics or, or whatever. And they were berating this church to somebody else that I know. I mean, just like going after them to a good gospel-believing church. Okay? And they just let, let this pastor have it the pastor wasn't there he was just talking about the pastor of course behind his back but in a it was in a public place where people were around it was a lumber yard where people were around possibly probably unbelievers just hearing this christian like tee off on somebody for how they were handling some issue that is awful 
That is terrible. That is a way that we display our superiority and our, uh, and our um, power over our own. A couple things on that. Number one, like that, ah, we need to have grace and mercy for our own, especially for, for each other. Okay, we need to acknowledge how difficult it is to navigate this crazy world that we live in right now. How does the gospel intertwine with masks or, you know, whatever, or the pandemic or vaccines? How does the gospel intertwine with Black Lives Matter or the Me Too movement or, you know, whatever, whatever the other uh, issue of the day is? These are super challenging things that... that Christian leaders are trying to navigate, all right? Doesn't mean, I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't have an opinion, that you shouldn't leave a church or anything like that. Certainly not. But judging them, mocking them, like especially in a public place, like, ah, oh, this is terrible, okay? This is, so, this is such a challenging time for churches. We just need to know that. The second thing is that church leaders, like we serve under Jesus. Jesus is the chief shepherd. We are under shepherds of Jesus. We were put in place by Jesus. So when you mock and when we judge church leaders, we're mocking and we're judging Jesus, the one who put those leaders in place. We can't do that. We've got to be careful. We've got to be looking out for the mad pursuit of power. We've got to be looking out for the mad pursuit of pleasure. And when we find ourselves doing something like that, we've got to stop and we've got to consider this. We've got to consider that we're mocking Jesus and we're beating Jesus. And we have to consider how Jesus is going to respond to this. How will Jesus respond when we mock him and when we smack him in the face with our sin? How's he going to respond? He dies for us. He dies for us. Can you even believe that? When we are the perpetrators, we are the, the oafy guys that are, that are beating up Jesus or we're the, you know, the manipulated, calculating evil people, whatever we are. Like He dies for us. He forgives the people while they're brutalizing him. Isn't that insane? He's hanging on the cross and praying that God would forgive the very people that pinned him there. It's, it's, like, it's, it's too much. I cannot believe. Like if this isn't the picture of grace, I don't know what is. He's standing there. Jesus is fully aware of his godness. He's fully aware of his innocence, right? While he's being spit on and smacked and, and interrogated, accused of things that he, that he didn't do. He's fully aware of this. He's fully aware of his ability to stop it all right then and right there. Like, let's just end this charade. He could have done, but he doesn't. He stands there and he takes it because he knows this is God's plan to bring favor to the unworthy. That's us. That's me. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. Let me look at what Jesus then said some of the some of the red letters here that um, that he says in verse 67 and 68 they ask him are you the Christ or not he says if I tell you you will not believe and if I ask you you will not answer 
But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of power. Jesus is saying, you may be judging me today, council or Sanhedrin, but from now on, I'm the judge. I'll be sitting on the judgment seat, and I will be the one that judges. He's going to be the righteous judge from now on. So there's two, there's two judges here. We've got the Sanhedrin, we've got the, the Jewish council, and we got Jesus. And we are left to, to answer the question, right? He says, if I ask, you will not answer. What is the, what's he asking? I'm not entirely sure. Doesn't see, from the commentary, he's not entirely sure. But this is a question that, he, that needs to be answered. Which judge do you want to be judged by? You want to be judged by the one that convicts the innocent and sends them to a, a death sentence? You want, to be, you want to be judged by the world or you want to be judged by the righteous judge? The righteous judge who is innocent but is found guilty so that we as the guilty could be declared innocent. Is there like a debate <laughs> who, you want to be, who you want to be judged by? He got what he didn't deserve. Jesus got what he didn't deserve so that we won't get what we deserve. He stood there and took it. He took the humiliation, the interrogation, the mocking, the beating so that we wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God. How sweet is that grace? Now, for those who want to be judged by the righteous judge, for those that believe in his claims here, his claims, he's the Christ. There's three different titles for Jesus here. He's the Christ, he's the Son of Man, and he's the Son of God all pretty much saying the same thing. This is God in the flesh. He is the son of God. For those of us that believe that, we receive that incredible grace. We receive that. And then we've got to dispense that to other people. We've got to go tell people, we have the market cornered on grace. We live in a society that is graceless, that doesn't understand what it means to have mercy and grace. But we do. We've received it, and, and, and people need to know about it. When they come to us, we've got to share it with them. You've got to tell them what this, what this means for you, what this has meant for you. We are not just to go to church, which we appreciate you coming. It's awesome. See you guys. But we are to be the church. All right? That means taking the grace that we've received and going to dispense it. Like, I got to go find somebody to talk about this grace to. I got to find somebody to share the grace that I received. It's crazy. It's mind-blowing. Like, people won't even believe it. I, I, know, I know somebody who was in church for uh, decades and then failed out and, and has been the mad pursuit of pleasure, been focused on the mad pursuit of pleasure. Now we're talking about grace, and he's like, this is crazy. It's like a different religion, this idea of grace. Like, it can never be exhausted. It can never be ruined. Like, it's, it's amazing. We've got to tell people about that. We've got to go dispense the grace that we've received. But there's one more thing. Last thing. There's a warning. Jesus is telling us, if they did this to me, they're going to do it to you. 
you got to know this. Because if your mission is to go dispense grace, you got to know what's coming. It could get ugly. You're going to want to put your cup on. <laughs> it's, it's, it, could get, it could get real. Mocked, beaten, judged, ridiculed, all this could be coming for you. If you have the guts to, to speak up and to start telling people about this. I was talking to my brother yesterday who's, the, who's uh, in Salem. Um, and he was saying, man, society has, has no, um, no, no way to, to understand the Christian dialogue. There's no Christian dialogue in society. People don't know what to do with us. Okay? You just try to casually bring up Jesus in a conversation with somebody who's not a believer and see how that goes. Fly like a lead balloon. Um, I mean, it, it's just either you're gonna be, it's going to be received or it's going to be rejected. Most of the time, I feel like you got a good chance of being mocked and ridiculed. I told someone the other day, a guy that I coached in my son's basketball team with, that I went to church. And just the idea of church literally made him step back like this. He was clearly uncomfortable with just the word church. This is, I mean, he's a nice guy, great guy too. Like, he's not a mean guy. But I just, like, we have got to be prepared for the, for the shameful treatment from the mocking, for the judging, and for the condemning. But listen, I'm just going to tell you, do it anyways. Okay? You might get smacked in the face, figuratively or literally. Do it anyways. Just do it, man. These people need to know what, where our grace, what, where grace comes from. They need to know about this grace. They, it's unbelievable. I mean, to some extent, isn't it? Like, it's too good to be true. But this, in, for once, it's actually not too good to be true. It's real. It's legit. It's life-changing. And it can change their life. We've got to dispense grace everywhere we go. We've got to dispense grace to our employees, okay? Even if they're unworthy of it, dispense grace to them. We've got to dispense grace to our employers, even if they're unworthy of it. Dispense grace to our spouses, even if they're unworthy about it. Dispense grace to our kids, who are definitely unworthy just kidding. <laughs> we need to dispense grace. When you're fighting your ticket and you don't get a fair shake, you don't think? Dispense grace to the judge and the cop that cost you a bunch of money. Listen, and we, and we just need to remember where the grace comes from, right? While we're mocking and, 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 and smacking Jesus in the face with our sin, we got to remember He's dying for us. That's where our grace comes from. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. I'll invite the band forward. Heavenly Father, God, we live in a difficult place. We, we live in a, a place of, shame, of shaming. We live in a culture of outrage. Certainly if we if we push back on anything that culture is deemed righteous, we, we will be ridiculed. We will be mocked. 
we will be judged. Father, we ask for your help in how we navigate that. We ask that your grace would, be, would just overflow in this space. That people would come to outward, to this church, and they would feel it. They would say, this is different. This is like a different religion. I don't, I don't even know what I'm experiencing, but there is no condemnation. Oh, how great would it be for that to be the reaction that people have when they come to our church or they, they interact with each of us individually. Father, help us with that. that is, this is not an easy task. Give us courage to talk about the gift of grace that we receive. God's favor to the unworthy. I pray this in your name. Amen.